Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are going to be discussing a paper from 2021, so it is recent, on teaching horse riding is the role of the horse recognized. Um, the author of this is Mari Zetterquist Blacus. And um, basically, this study investigated what methods professional trainers use in their teaching. Uh, they conducted interviews with nine professional trainers in sports dressage. And then they analyze those interviews using a qualitative approach. Now, um, one of our respondents on the survey wanted us to more often than not reveal the results of the research early in the podcast rather than waiting to the late middle or end. So I'm going to tell you the results of this paper this week early. Um, the results showed that trainers had developed a good eye using their prior or practical experiences. They also helped the riders solve their problems, but in doing so, they didn't make it clear about why they were telling the riders to do certain aids. So a lot of times they might say, put right leg on and not explain to the student why they were saying that. So also um, this research revealed that the trainers um, did not develop the rider's own practical knowledge by leaving that information out. And then also the role of the horse was not made explicit in most cases. Uh, they showed clearly that recognition of the horse as a sentient and thinking individual is not built into the current teaching practice. So in the end, teaching methods would be improved if trainers encouraged riders to pay more attention to the perspective of the horse um, and to examine how to interpret and attend to the horse's reactions and then to reflect on those issues um, in conversation with their students. Now, I kind of messed up already, Kate. I meant to start the podcast off by congratulating Kate on her new position as an assistant professor at the University College Dublin. So let's give her a round of applause for- Thank you, Nancy. Great accomplishment. And I'm thrilled to have you as a podcast partner because you bring so much of your educational experience into this conversation. And, and it shows that now you've been appointed um, you know, that professorship. So that means a lot. And I, I do say heartfelt congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm going to have a very big head by the time the podcast is over. I, well, um, I, I can't believe I said, let me introduce the paper so I can 
tell them about your assistant professorship and then I forget. <laughs> it's 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 tough, isn't it? Did you from the papers? I'll have to give Kate a vacation from introducing them more often. So, but anyway, that is in a nutshell this week's paper. And I thought that part about not considering the horse's uh, reactions as part of your teaching is pretty big. I mean, how else can a student understand and go from one horse to another horse? Because the more horses you ride, the better you get. And so you can't always have the same horse. And a lot of times, a horse is different on certain days than what it was the ride before. So what do you think, Kate? I think that's so true because to me, what happens is if you're only giving the cues and not giving the knowledge behind why a rider should do that, then the rider learns to ride not for that horse, but for that um, instructor. Mm-hmm. So they go into the lesson and they're like, oh, well, this this coach or this instructor wants me to do these things, but not understanding how to link that to the outcomes and for this paper they had three questions that they wanted to be addressed so the first one is what strategies and methods do equestrian trainers use to develop the rider's communication with their horse and support the interactions between the rider and horse the second one was how do the trainers adapt their teaching to each rider and horse pair And the third one is, do trainers contribute to making the role of the horse visible to their riders? And you can see from the way they're worded that, you know, a good trainer ideally will hit those three marks. But training, particularly in horse riding and teaching riding, it has so many aspects. So the personality and physical abilities of the rider need to be paired with the personality physical abilities of the horse, the mood of the horse, and then need to also pair with the personality and motivation of the trainer. And we all know in life we can have, um, I guess, a difference of opinions or personality clashes is probably the best word for it. So that can happen too with trainers. And sometimes you'll find a trainer that you just don't click with And it's probably best to then go and find another trainer because I think if you are working against that personality clash, then it's very difficult to learn. And any critique very easily feels like criticism too. So I think the relationship really needs to be built from that point of view as well. That's a good point. And and I think too, this paper brings out about practical knowledge and how a lot of times that sort of knowledge is only attained through practical experience and through riding. And it makes it so much easier when you have a trainer acting as a mediator between you and the horse. So for having eyes on the ground sometimes can give you a better perspective. Sometimes when you're riding, you don't see you're leaning to the left or right. Mm-hmm. Or you're maybe holding one rein a little shorter than the other rein. And at that point, you know, down th- that side of the arena, maybe you should be more equal 
on it. So it helps to have a trainer be that mediator and give you instructions. But I think if it's never interpreted why they're telling you that, I don't think it's knowledge that you're going to retain. I agree. And I think it really is the practicality of it. You know, we're taking, I suppose, as a student on a horse, essentially, you're taking this feedback from the person who's on the ground that can see it. But you really have to try and link that feedback in your head to what you're feeling because the horse is giving you constant feedback. And in the paper, it's saying to actually be able to listen to the horse and interpret the signs from the horse is a key factor in riding. But one of the um, one of the trainers that they interviewed had a really nice way of putting it. I'm just looking for her quote. So she says she explains first, second, and third aids to the rider. So the first aid is your thoughts. Your thoughts come first, and then the shoulders decide what direction you're going to ride in, and the seat decides the speed. And then the third is that your hands and legs help with the rhythm. And that way you can kind of cut into pieces. And it's so true because I remember hearing when I was younger, um, when it came to cross-country jumping, you have to believe you're going over the jump. The jump. So your thought comes first, then everything else starts to line up and follow afterwards. Yeah, that's a the uh, that's so true. It's a lot of times it all begins in your own mind, and your own uh, confidence. And I think the more you ride, the better your confidence becomes. As long as your uh, foundation is there and proper riding, um, I guess it would be rewarding certain uh, aids and knowing the timing for your rewards, I guess, is what I should say. And um, I think that's where maybe a lot of trainers miss it, is that they forget to uh, talk about that pressure and release and how timing in that. And that's when they were talking about tacit knowledge, how sometimes that's so hard to convey because it's a feel that you can't put into words. You may feel that horse respond well before the trainer sees that horse respond. So that's where that tacit knowledge that can't be put into words or numbers or formulas, that's where horseback riding, there is a little bit of a gap there. Um, and if you can explain that horse behavior to a student, there's a better chance they might be able to get it right. But um, that's where school horses come in so handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well-trained. But well, I think that's the thing, Nancy, like thinking of school horses, like all of this, I mean, this is incredibly boring to a six-year-old child. You're not going to be able to explain to them all the different facets and the feeling and it's something they will get over time. I mean, with new riders and adult riders that are new to it, that's amazing because you can understand the background and you can comprehend the feeling. But I think in kids, like they do, they just want to go fast and they want to learn how to jump and do all of these things. And what gets lost a lot of the time 
in the between is the fact that horses are sentient beings. You know, they're feeling, they have emotions, and we have to take more cues from them. We have to be more in tune with them. It's not always about, you know, I well, I have to conquer this jump. I have to get them over it. Like, I can't let them away with this behavior. Some days they're trying to just tell you that today is not the day. And trying to persevere on those days, I think, is more of a knock in confidence for you and the horse. Whereas if you're in tune and you're feeling and taking that feedback from them, you can just say, you know what, we've tried a couple of times. I'm not going to push them. We'll come back to it the next day. Yeah, that's a good point, especially for kids. They just don't get a lot of time. They can't get the timing. I mean, they're too young. They, you know, they just want to follow what their peers are doing and what the rest of the class is doing. And I think it, you make a good point in the school horses um, over time. I'm sure they get tired of being school horses, but over time, as the kids grow, they'll have the maturity to be able to learn about, um, I guess, I guess it would be equitation science and the rewards that we give the horses with certain pressures and release. Um, I, I did think it was neat that they answered the first question about strategies and methods um, to enhance that communication between um, horse and rider pairs. It was that uh, riders need to have uh, empathetic skills. And I mean, it's kind of like maybe they forget that they're not machines. Even school horses aren't machines, that there are certain um, attributes for teaching a, a young person or an adult to have empathy. And I think sometimes that's kind of lost when you're taking riding lessons. I mean, you, you see a lot of the pulling on the bit and the gaping mouths and, and all that. And, you know, I thought the one trainer made a good point that she um, uses yoga, Pilates, coordination exercises off the horse to get the rider ready to be able to have body control before getting on the horse. And I thought that's a pretty good point, you know, to, to so many people are not physically active. So they, they don't use the muscles that are required for riding. And I would say, even if you are physically active, yoga and Pilates are a great way to almost reverse work what you've done because we're in such like not rigid positions on the horse but like your knee is at a certain angle your ankle is at a nice tight angle <laughs> you know your hips have got movement but you're keeping your back straight your shoulders elbows in line when you're actually doing schooling you know when you're out trekking it's a different story you can relax no one's watching you but <laughs> if you're doing dressage work I mean you need to then stretch your legs out in different ways and not let those muscles end up tightening up over time because it does happen. And I think tight hamstrings is so common in horse riders. I think it's common in society because there's so many lower back problems. And a lot of that stems from tight hamstrings and hip flexors. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, I'm 
had never done Pilates before. And when I first did it, oh my gosh, it was not even pretty in my shoulders. Do you know, I could feel I needed more in my shoulders that did not involve farm work or weightlifting or anything like that. But um, I thought their methodology in this research was pretty neat because they took nine professional trainers who were educated in uh, equestrianism and equestrian education. So they just didn't pull nine trainers from nine barns. They really brought in some professionals that had been training under licensure from Sweden and Poland for 10 years plus. So they, they did recruit qualified trainers and then the riders they picked riders that had been under these trainers for at least six months. And then they videoed and um, using audio to the lesson. And then they did an interview with the trainer afterwards. And then they recorded uh, what the trainer said. And then when they played back the video, sometimes what the trainer thought they taught wasn't what they taught so that was amazing to me that you know there's that that little bit of um communication problems between what they think they're saying like the one lady said keep your horse in the tunnel well you know did the student know what that meant or when she said put the put more right leg use more right leg I mean, we have a certain terminology that in the horse world we understand, but how about new students that might be like, you know, they had never heard that before. So they did find some of that occurring in this that uh, sometimes they use terminology that um, might be hard or easy to misconstrue. I think that's so true. And I, I think it's easy to get to that stage where you almost don't have any other words to explain something because you understand it specifically. So that's the only way you can get it to come out of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other thing is, is um, what I thought was great about this research is that it showed that the trainers actually did adjust their training methods to each individual person. So, um, you know, they did adjust according to what they felt the writer's learning style was. So that's a positive right there. Yeah, I think these trainers in particular, they seemed very um, focused on their development because there's a number of quotes that they have throughout it as well. And you can see that they're really in tune with what they need to be doing and you know that the rider needs to be consistent to give consistent signals to the horses and they they seem to understand that bond they just didn't manage to communicate it so well for the rider to understand yeah yeah and i thought that um another good thing was now these interviews were like 40 to 60 minutes in length And then they were held right after the session. So the trainer just came out of the arena to be interviewed. And then uh, they would do the interview and then play back 
the lesson. And some of the things that were admirable about these trainers is they broke everything down into small steps. So that's always a positive, especially when you're learning um, certain things or certain aids to put on at the same time. So they tend to you know, to break it down. And I think that was part of that um, three steps you talked about, Kate, where they were trying to break it down and make it easier for the riders. And then um, the other thing is um, they were trying to convey to the riders about using feeling in their riding, but that was another one of that tacit knowledge that was hard to convey. Yeah, I think some of it does come with just experience and time and being around horses a lot so you know there is some of it that you can't teach and I think overall I mean we're nitpicking out little things that would make you know a superhuman trainer if they could do everything but circling back to the beginning it's a difficult job you've got a live animal and a human on their back and you're trying to train the human who may have little to no experience how to get the live animal to willingly do something. It's, it is actually a bit mind blowing when we break it down. Yeah. And, and it is a difficult job and it makes it even, um, even more so with these, these educated trainers. I mean, they went through school to do this and um, think how many trainers in America just put a shingle out because they've been riding a couple years. So mm -hmm. it's, it makes it a welfare concern for the horses, but then you also want a good experience for the riders, especially young kids. You want them, they're, they're the future of our sport. So you want them to have fun and enjoy it, but yet they also need to learn because they're not riding a motorcycle. This is another living um, animal that they, and it might benefit even other sports that use non-human um, components, you know, animals and all that to be able to be empathetic and be able to think about the natural behaviors and tendencies of that animal. And I do think it's something that will be under review um, going forward in this paper kind of touched on that very briefly, but just that we, we will need to address, you know, for our competitions and the Olympics and things like that, how we're using horses in that sense. And Nancy and I have an episode um, where we had a brief discussion about an incident that happened during the Summer Olympics. And that really does kind of reinforce, you know, in a scenario where it's not your horse you're getting on, you're you don't have any of this connection you don't have any of this bond and you're performing at a very high level stakes so i think these things will have to be looked into and i mean we have this knowledge now you know we have the research that's done that shows how we can kind of get the best out of ourselves and our horses so why not use it yeah and you know this these were um dressage horses and dressage riders and i think what's so cool about 
dressage is when you go to a show, a judge gives you a critique. So right away, you can read what you need to work on. And I think this paper reiterated that if writers need to engage both in reflection and action and in reflection on action to deepen their learning. And I think that's so true. A lot of times you take a lesson, you're done, you go on tack. I think it would help if you could uh, just reflect a little bit with the trainer on what you need to work on, what you, why you were being told to do certain things. And that might even, you know, kind of be another stair step in your progress. And journal it so you can look back on it then and see how far you've come. There's a dressage instructor outside St. Louis, Missouri, that she has got a diary on every one of her horses from every ride for like the past 10 years. And horses are getting older. And she says it is awesome to go back and read the entries and she'll see how far they have come along. And this lady's very progressed in dressage. And um, I told her she needs to put those journals into a book. I would love to read them. Definitely. Yeah, that would be fascinating. Yeah. So, but anyway, I think that's about all I had for this, Kate. Yeah, I didn't have anything else to add. It was actually a really nice paper to read and I think this one is open source isn't it Nancy it is I'm trying to pick more open source papers because then the the listeners are able to read the paper for themselves and you know kind of see if they come up with the same conclusions and the same ideas that we do and if they don't they can email us and give us their point of view on that. But it's good. To, the more research you read, the better you get at reading it and interpreting it. And so I'm trying to pick the free papers that anyone can access. And some of the papers, like you'll notice a trend for me and Nancy are like, this was a nice one to read. Yeah. It means it was, you know, accessible. Yeah. In the sense that some of them do have a lot of stats or um, a lot of methods and results that you have to kind of make your way through. But this this is a good paper if anyone wants some bedtime reading. Yep. And I'll definitely put a link on our homepage and that's anchor.fm. And uh, you can put conversations in equine science or Nancy McLean, and it will come up. And then also, if you do access the homepage or any of our social media, we'd like to have a few more respondents in that listener survey. Um, I read some of them, and that's why I thought, well, we'll give the results right away. So you guys can kind of hear the results at the beginning versus the middle or end. And uh, so we'll kind of take those little hints and work them into the conversation. So as Nancy said, you can get that on our social medias. And Nancy and I share that on LinkedIn as well. But there is just a couple more weeks left on that. So it closes at the end of the month is the plan. And um, yeah, if you haven't already, please, it takes two minutes. Just jump on and let us know your opinion. Yep, that sounds great. Well, thanks, Kate, for joining in this week. And 
Um, I'm looking forward to next week. And congratulations again, Professor. Thank you so much, Nancy. Take care, oh. everyone. Bye-bye. Oh.